0: Well, in a moment, I'm going to start recording the Proverbs 18.10 podcast, episode 64. But before I do, some of you may know that I am not just a speaker and writer, I also am a musician. I play the piano and sing, and uh, locally to where I live, I've been doing a couple of gigs lately. So if you are in the um, Pacific Northwest area, well, specifically if you are in northern Idaho then you might want to come along and uh, hear me play at a, a couple of gigs uh, in the near future. You can find out details at my music website, which is paultaylorpianomusic.com. And um, what I'm going to be doing is uh, on uh, the wine bar in Sandpoint, Idaho. I'll be doing some uh, gigs shortly. Um, I don't know whether you can read that up there in the corner i i thought uh, white would look better than uh, black but maybe not anyway it's wednesdays there's two wednesdays coming up february the 1st and march the 29th both wednesdays uh the evenings will be from five o'clock through seven o'clock that's uh, february the 1st and march 29th 2023 and that will be at the Pondere winery on cedar street in sandpoint idaho cedar street in sandpoint idaho if you're having trouble reading the words Perhaps I better just put my hands behind them. I, I, I was hoping that would work better than this. Okay, can you read that a bit better now? Um, I've chosen the wrong color there, but there you can see the details, but you'll find the details on uh, at paultaylorpianomusic.com. So if you're in the area, please come along and support me on those occasions. And I think you'll enjoy the program of nostalgic piano music, uh, piano songs that I'll be doing on that occasion. Uh, well, let's get into the actual program. Uh, as I go into the program, let me just explain to you, let me just play a short video clip which will tell you about how you can support the um, podcasts, the Proverbs 1810 podcasts that I do. Hello there. I'm Paul Taylor. I'm very privileged that you take the time to watch these uh, podcasts of mine or to listen to them, I mean Proverbs 18.10 podcasts. Um, I love that verse of scripture that I've based the name of the podcast off, Proverbs 18.10. In the name of the Lord, is a strong tower, and the righteous run into it, and they're safe. It gives me an opportunity to talk to you and to try and uh, talk about world issues and exegetical issues and always taking a conservative biblical Christian world worldview point of view so thank you for taking the time please remember though that uh, the free speech that we enjoy isn't actually free and these podcasts need support and therefore there are three ways that you can support me you can support me at Subscribestar or at Locals or at Substack. So it's subscribestar.com forward slash Paul F. Taylor, or it's paulf.taylor.locals.com, or paulf.taylor.substack.com. And of course, you can find all these links and all the previous episodes of the podcast at proverbs1810.org. Thank you for listening. And if you are subscribing, God bless you. Thank you for doing so. Please join our list of subscribers so that I can continue to produce these podcasts for you. And if you're saying that you know truth, if you're saying that you know what is truth, then you've got to have something to actually measure that against. Converse 1810 podcast. 25 feet, a thousand layers. How many millions of years did that take to form them? The answer is it took three hours. Proverbs 1810 Podcast. This is the Proverbs 1810 Podcast, presented by me, Paul Taylor, in association with Proverbs 1810 Media. For all information about the podcast, including where to find the RSS feeds to put into your favorite podcasting software, please visit Proverbs1810.org. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the Proverbs 1810 podcast. My name is Paul Taylor. Thank you for joining me. Uh, Proverbs 1810, if you remember, says, let me just bring up the Bible uh, program then you can see it it says "The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous man runs into it and is safe. The name of the Lord is a strong tower." The righteous man runs into it and is safe and that's the principle then uh, behind uh, the podcast that we that we do everything is focused on the name of the lord uh, he's our strong tower and uh, and we find our salvation uh, uh within uh, by being uh, by being linked to the lord um before we move on let's just have a look at another proverb because the proverbs are just full of wonderful Um, verses. Uh, Two other verses that uh, I think are very, very important uh, as we uh, approach anything to do with worldview issues are found in Proverbs chapter 26, and I'm particularly looking at verses uh, 4 and 5. Proverbs uh, chapter 26 and verses 4 and 5. We read, Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him yourself. And answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. It sounds at first as if these are contradictory verses, but they're not. One is vertical and one is horizontal. Uh, we're not to engage in the foolishness of uh, of, of fools, and a fool, by the way, is not someone who is unintelligent. The biblical definition of a fool is very, very specific. It's not someone who is unintelligent. It's instead someone who lacks wisdom. There are many intelligent people who lack wisdom. Uh, the opposite of um, intelligence is, um, is um, stupidity. The opposite of knowledge is ignorance. The opposite of wisdom is foolishness. So uh, it's possible to be very intelligent and to know a great deal, but to be foolish Uh, and um, a a good definition of a fool in the Bible is in Psalm 14 where we read, uh, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. You have the wrong starting point. If you have the wrong starting point, then everything else is of no use. And that's why we're not to answer a fool according to his folly. We're not to engage in that foolishness because that would make us like him. But then in the process of speaking to him, that's why the, verse 5 is secondary to verse 4 and follows from verse 4. Uh, um, it's essential to point out to someone their folly. And what we do is we show them not to believe in their folly, but to um, we show them the end results of their folly, their foolishness, and show them the logic. Uh, that it basically uh, um, leads to an absurd uh, opinion, an absurd stance. And the reason why we do that is to show them that they're not wise, even in their own eyes. So that you make them foolish in their own eyes, because as I said, the opposite of wisdom is foolishness. So that's um, the principles by which we try and work on everything uh, that we talk about in these sessions. Now, one person who's been showing a lot of wisdom lately is the Conservative MP, Andrew Bridgen. Just to give you a little bit of background to this man, he, he started off by believing all the COVID stuff and uh, to the extent of urging people to get vaccines. And he took a, a vac- the, the first part of the vaccination himself and it's caused him um, illness problems, it's caused him health problems. And he has realised, therefore, that there is a problem. So he may have come late in the day to becoming awake to uh, the problems of uh, society, but he, he's woken him up, not just to the vaccine, not just to the COVID nonsense, but to a lot of other things. He's an honest man and he's a Christian man. He believes uh, in the Lord Jesus Christ as his savior. So uh, it's been very interesting to um, find out a little bit about what's uh, been going on to him. Uh, A few weeks ago, sometime just before Christmas, he asked a question at Prime Minister's Question Time. Prime Minister's Question Time is a weekly event where people in the House of Commons get to question the Prime Minister. Many of the questions are either fawning questions from the Prime Minister's own party, the Conservative Party, or they are... um, um nonsensical but deliberately opposing questions from uh, the opposition labor party but every so often somebody on either side will um ask a very pertinent question and do so in a manner that uh uh it shows that they have done research and that they know what they're talking about. And you get some people from both sides of the House who speak like this. So, Andrew Bridgen from the Conservative Backbenchers uh, was asking um, a, a question of the Prime Minister. Let's just uh, listen to the question that he asked and the response that he got.
1: Thank you, Thank you Mr. Speaker. Uh, there have been more reported deaths and adverse reactions. Uh, following mRNA vaccination in 18 months than there has been to every uh, conventional vaccine administered worldwide for the last 50 years. And given that mRNA vaccines are not recommended for pregnant women or those who are breastfeeding, would my right hon. Friend overturn the Big Pharma-funded MHRA's recent recommendation that these uh, experimental vaccines are administered to children as as young as six months of age? Uh, well, well, Mr. Speaker, let me first say that I believe COVID vaccines are indeed safe and effective. Uh, but, and no no vaccine, COVID or otherwise, will be approved unless it meets the UK regulator's standards of safety, quality and effectiveness. Uh, we have an independent body. The JCVI determines which age groups the vaccine is recommended for use in as part of the vaccination programme. And of course, the ultimate decision will lie with parents.
0: Now, roll on a few weeks into the new year and Andrew Bridgen made a tweet in which he quoted a cardiologist and I think the cardiologist concern was uh, dr. Peter McCullough um, I think it was I'm not hundred percent sure on that but I mean he uh, if it was him he was the most published cardiolo- cardiologist cardiologist um, in uh, the United States, a very eminent man. But of course, he's now become persona non grata because he tells the truth about the COVID vaccines. So uh, the quote that uh, Bridgen um, tweeted uh, said, uh, said this, as, uh, as one committed cardiologist said to me, this is the biggest crime against humanity since the Holocaust. Now that caused a storm of uh, protest. Matt Hancock, the disgraced former uh, health secretary, the man who introduced all the nonsense into Britain on mask mandates and vaccines and so on, uh, for which he ought to be tried for crimes against humanity in my opinion. Anyway, this uh, ridiculous man, who's uh, who uh, was quite happy to throw away any parliamentary career so that he could earn some money on a reality show um, um, in the in the jungle of uh, in the jungles of North Australia, uh, I'm a celebrity. Get me out of here," he said. He described um, Bridgen's tweet as anti-Semitic. Rishi Sunak, the prime minister, picked up on that. Uh, Uh, calling uh, Bridgen's comments disgraceful and Andrew Bridgen has been suspended from the Conservative Party. Now let's just analyze that quote in a little bit more detail shall we. Now what does the comment mean to say that something is the biggest crime against humanity since the Holocaust? If you look at that statement What's it saying? It's saying that uh, the vaccine mandate is a crime against humanity. Since the Holocaust, is that anti-Semitic? What's it saying about the Holocaust? Is it saying that the Holocaust didn't happen? Of course it isn't. It's saying the reverse. It's saying since the Holocaust, therefore the Holocaust was a bigger crime against humanity. Um, Bridgen is using, uh, or rather um, McCullough is using that as the biggest crime against humanity and comparing it against that is saying it's of the same order, but not the same size. The Holocaust is probably the worst crime against humanity in the last 200 years or so. Uh, So nothing in that statement is anti-Semitic. Now, Matt Hancock knows that. He's not an unintelligent man. Rishi Sunak knows that. Sunak, Britain's prime minister, was educated at Winchester College, one of the most expensive, independent, fee-paying high schools in in Britain. By the way, it's one of those schools that's uh, known, one of those ancient schools that's known in Britain as public schools. It's one of those things that causes uh, a bit of a problem in uh, translating that into uh, Americanese, if you like. But um, the point I'm making here is that Rishi Sunak has been educated to a high standard, he knows what that phrase means. He knows that it is not anti-Semitic. It's like saying that the genocide in Rwanda was the worst genocide in history since the Holocaust. If you say that, that is not anti-Semitic. That's not saying that the Holocaust didn't happen. And that's not uh, denigrating the suffering of Jewish people in the Holocaust. It's merely a factual statement saying that here's something that's against humanity and comparing it to something of a similar order, but worse at another point in time. It's pretty obvious what that means. And so um, uh, Sunak's not unaware of that. So for him to... um, Pretend to take umbrage at that remark and remove Bridgen from the Conservative Party is uh, an act, a childish act, an ignorant act, a foolish act, a st- an act of complete stupidity. And it's an act that is uh, really playing to the gallery. It's not doing uh, doing anything. I mean, Sunak doesn't, for one minute, believe that Andrew Bridgen is anti-Semitic. What he does understand is that anti uh, is that Andrew Bridgen has put his finger on a crime that the British government has perpetrated against its own people, just as governments of other Western countries have perpetrated against their own people. The crime of giving them an untested, badly tested, badly designed uh, so-called vaccination that has caused death and injury to millions, no, maybe billions of people throughout the world. Now that prompted Andrew Bridgen to make a statement. And in this statement, he did actually apologise. And I'm not sure that he should have done because his, uh, his comment was not something that needed to be apologised for. But nevertheless, he did do so, but he did uh, buckle down on what he was trying to say. This is a long clip, it's about three minutes long, it's worth hearing in full.
1: I'm disappointed that the Chief Whip Simon Hart, with the support of the Prime Minister, has chosen to suspend me as a member of the Conservative Parliamentary Party. My tweet of 11th of January was in no way anti-Semitic. Indeed, it alluded to the Holocaust being the most heinous crime against humanity in living memory. Of course, if anyone is genuinely offended by my use of such imagery, then I apologise for any offence caused. I wholeheartedly refute any suggestions that I am racist and currently I'm speaking to a legal team who will commence action against those who have led the calls suggesting that I am. Indeed, the Israeli doctor I quoted in my tweet has stated that there was nothing at all anti-Semitic about the statement. The fact that I have been suspended over this matter says much about the current state of our democracy, the right to free speech, and the apparent suspension of the scientific method of analysis of medicines being administered to billions of people. As I've consistently maintained there are very reasonable questions to be asked about the safety and effectiveness of the experimental mRNA vaccines and the risks and benefits of these treatments. There are reasonable questions to ask of a government that is considering extending the use of these experimental vaccines to children as young as six months of age. These, ladies and gentlemen, are babies. There are reasonable questions about the side effects of mRNA vaccines, especially when we know categorically that the current risk of harm to most of the population and especially young people from COVID-19 is minuscule. We have a government who indemnifies vaccine manufacturers from claims against the harms caused by their products, and a government who it appears actively look to remove MPs who raise questions about those harms. I was saddened to hear yesterday of my suspension, but I'm not downhearted. I've received huge support from ordinary people, medical workers who are too intimidated to speak out, and of course from those who've experienced vaccine harms themselves or to a loved one. Hopefully, the media interest around my suspension will finally get the issue of vaccine harms into the media, who have been so reluctant to cover this issue for so long. An issue which is clearly of huge and growing concern to many people across the globe. Reasonable questions about the safety and effectiveness of mRNA vaccines must continue to be asked and I will continue to ask them. If I cannot do that as a Conservative Member of Parliament then so be it. Highlighting these important questions, questions about life, death, serious injury must override party loyalty. I owe that not only to my constituents in North West Leicestershire but also to the wider British public and especially to our children and young people who are the very future of our great nation. Thank you very much for listening to me.
0: So just to wrap up my comments on Andrew Bridge, and you can see there that uh, the man is being deliberately victimised for his stance on COVID, for being awake to what uh, uh, governments and powers that be are doing. You heard in the, in the question that he asked the Prime Minister earlier, how he gave uh, scientific reasoning and how the Prime Minister simply answered by saying, I believe that the uh, COVID vaccines are safe and effective. And then he got all those cheers from people around him. It's a nonsense, isn't it? Uh, You've got a statement of science, a question involving science and an answer that is uh, down to um, one man's belief. And a belief that is not founded, but is the so called right thing to say at the moment because it's what the powers that be want to hear. There's clearly going to be a lot more uh, from other people in the news about that, so I will leave that there. There isn't really any conclusion that can possibly be made, just bring it to your attention as uh, one more example of the idiocy of uh, the way that the world is going at the moment. Now, let's move on to some brief comments again about uh, the gifts of the spirits and about cessationism and so on. And um, let me just remind, just go back and remind you of a few important facts so you don't lose sight of them before I, I just advance uh, the, the thoughts that I've been making over the last few uh, podcast episodes, because it's a little while since uh, episode 63, so uh, it's important perhaps to, to mention that. Um, I heard one speaker spend an entire hour trying to explain why first corinthians 13 does not mean what it obviously means you can see what it means if you come to this without any preconditions you can see that when it refers to the perfect coming it's referring to uh the perfect world that god will bring in uh, um in the new heavens and the new earth it's obvious that that is what is uh, is being said but uh, of course cessationists have to spend a lot of time arguing that perfect doesn't mean that that it means the closing of the canon of scripture and it's very important because they accuse us of not believing in the closing of the canon of scripture but it's very important that we emphasize that we do believe in the closing of the canon of scripture uh, it is quite clear that there is no scripture to be written and that fact. That fact, and it is a fact, means uh, it's against that fact that we understand what tongues, prophecies, words of knowledge, words of wisdom mean, because at no point are they revelatory. So again, uh, there is this accusation that we're referring to revelatory gifts, but at no point are any of those things revelatory in the sense of producing new revelation, new doctrines that uh, should be tagged onto the Bible. There is no way that's going to happen. The Bible is closed. And so therefore we interpret what uh, tongues, prophecy, words of knowledge and words of wisdom uh, and so on mean with reference to that, knowing that they are not in any way adding to scripture. We're told that there has to be a test, and that test is difficult to do and requires the church to constantly be uh, on top of things. Um, let's, uh, let, let's look at the particular point uh, which uh, refers to uh, as far as uh, prophecy is concerned. Um, because it's, it's, it's very important, it's to do with orderly worship. Uh, but it, it shows how there should be an active leadership in, uh, in the church. Um, here we go, then. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 29, and we've already talked a little bit about this, but let's just hammer this point home. <clears throat> let two or three prophets speak and let the others weigh what is said if a revelation is made to another city, man by the way uh, the context clearly means uh, you know because these are not revelatory gifts in the sense of producing new scripture so our context here says that yes the holy spirit is speaking to someone but he's not adding anything to what scripture says uh, let the first be silent so there's an orderly an orderliness here it's not the case that somebody is compelled to stand up and prophesy no, uh, quite con- quite the contrary. In fact, in verse thirty-two, just down there, it says the spirits of prophets are subject to prophets. God is not a god of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints and so on. So. Um, Let's, let's just analyse what's said here. Let two or three prophets speak. By the way, I stopped there, not because I didn't want to get into... Well, I don't, on this particular stage, want to get into um, the role of women in this, OK? Uh, simply because I'll go down a bunny trail. But that doesn't mean to say that I disagree with what uh, Conservative people might say on that. I don't. Uh, and so that's going to be quite important for people to understand as well. Um, Let two or three prophets speak and let the others weigh what is said. This is an active church service. It's not following the unwritten liturgy of uh, uh, let's have some songs, then let's have some notices and so on. No, Uh, orderliness doesn't mean predictability. It means that there are people in control. So the various people with the gifts of prophecy can weigh up elsewhere. We see that this is to be under the church leadership. So the elders, uh, the elders, past the elder pastors should be uh, uh, concerned about this. Um, I could go on another bunny trail there to say that elders and pastors are the same thing. Okay, hopefully most of you are listening to this will agree with me on that, but this means this is hard work it means that in a proper service of worship there should be active leadership that there may be a prophecy and it needs weighing and that weighing is going to be difficult it takes effort and it takes people who really are elders who know the scripture very very well and it takes people who have the humility to accept if somebody says no that's that's not quite right there and again um You know, we can go into, perhaps we should uh, go into another time to say why it is that New Testament prophets are not to be stoned if they get something wrong. Whereas uh, those uh, chosen for uh, those who were supposed to be or saying that they were giving um, biblical revelation in the Old Testament, if they say something wrong, they should have been stoned. There's a difference here. there are all sorts of reasons why there are differences and we need to examine those on other occasions. Again, it's not a bunny trail to go down at the moment. What The, um, the point I want to make at the moment is how this active leadership during a service of worship is difficult and takes effort. And the cessationists are not prepared to make that effort because they're not interested in actually applying the scripture to uh, what uh, to a real living situation and being in, in tune with the Holy Spirit because they'd rather the Holy Spirit didn't interfere in what they do. And uh, that is why there is a problem here. God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. So we shouldn't be afraid of these types of uh, utterances. They are important. They could be answers to prayer. And one wonders why it is that cessationists even bother praying in the first place, because they're not looking for answers. Particularly if they're looking for guidance for something, they're looking for guidance for uh, for uh, how how things should happen, um, how the church should be run. They're not expecting answers because they're not expecting God is going to apply. Um, what he has given us in scripture what he has revealed to us in scripture he's not going to apply that in a way that is pertinent to our particular situation um, they're not expecting a supernatural answer to prayer so one wonders why they would want to pray in the first place as i've said many times a cessationist therefore is trying to Get away from Scripture at these points and ignore what Scripture says because it's more convenient. Rather than making a mistake, they'd rather not do anything at all. So that's someone who thinks that the exam that they might sit in math is far too difficult. So it's easier not to sit it at all. It's easier not to even take it. Then they've never failed it. That's not the way God expects us to be in church. He expects us to be in tune with his spirit. He certainly expects us to weigh things. He certainly expects everything to be under the authority of Scripture. And he expects uh, the elders and the pastors uh, to be uh, people who know about Scripture and who are able to um, to um, interpret it and apply it. Uh, a cessationist is trying to get away from that point. And the irony is, of course, that many cessationists are very strong on um, expositions in other areas of uh, of scripture uh, and uh, and can be very learned in a way that many people who want to exercise charismatic gifts are not and um, that of course is part of the problem with those people who exercise uh, so-called charismatic gifts that they can get taken carried away and can be doing things that are not uh, according to the bible uh, but the, the answer to that is not to say that all those things shouldn't happen, but rather to find that those things should happen in a proper and controlled manner under uh, the way that God wants it to be. In 1 Corinthians 12, we read about a very important uh, couple of gifts. Which are uh, words of knowledge and words of wisdom. And uh, it really would be better if churches were able to exercise those, because these days there is so little knowledge and wisdom in so many churches that we want to have those from the Spirit, the utterances of wisdom and the utterances of knowledge, uh, so that scripture is applied properly and we get answers to prayers that are difficult prayers. Again, This is not to do with people having a feeling that they should follow something. This is not about feelings. This is about um, understanding what the Holy Spirit wants to say through his word, interpreting it correctly, rightly, rightly interpreting it, rightly uh, applying it. So it takes work. It takes effort, it takes an active leadership, and it takes a prayerful church. And too many churches are not prepared to make that effort, not prepared to do that. Of course, there are other churches who therefore will denigrate Scripture because they're quite happy for things to jump around all over the place and to have no control at all. And that is not what uh, biblical um, continuationists are arguing for. Not one bit. But we are saying that there should be the work put in to be able to do this so that we would be able to hear answers to prayer by the utterances of wisdom and the utterances of knowledge um, and to weigh all these things and to actually be prepared to dig into Scripture and to dig into what God is saying to us and what God is saying to us today in our churches. He's not giving us any new doctrines, not at all. Uh, the Bible is there to guide all those. But there are ways that that needs to be applied, um, changing nothing. Uh, but these things need to be applied and need to be weighed and need to be considered, and it's time that uh, um, Christian churches started to put the effort into doing that. Now, another area that I've covered quite frequently in these podcasts, which I'm not going to spend a lot of time on today, is is the area of um, climate change and uh, showing how uh, much of what passes for climate change comment today is a pure nonsense and is unbiblical. And uh, in the fall of this year, I uh, have been invited, and uh, I'll give you more information on that uh, later in the year, but I have been invited to do a symposium on um, uh, uh, fossil fuels and um, and looking at a biblical approach to energy resources, including fossil fuels and so on. Well, to prepare for that, I'm, I'm doing a, a series of articles at the moment. And I've, I've published the first one of those articles, which basically is going through a few definitions on uh, energy resources and uh, how energy is changed from one form to another. It's really like a refresher course, if you like, on high school physics, talking about the first and second law of thermodynamics and uh, i've published that article um on Substack, and um i intend to um publish more one of those that uh, i will be publishing at uh, 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 hopefully next world we'll, we'll talk about what the bible says about those resources uh, where they're to be found and how we are to use them what our um, um methodology should be in actually using energy resources when you particularly when you get people saying that the oil and the coal that we have in the world it should be left in the ground because of uh, the so-called problems that they cause well i have published an article on Substack the art, the other articles are going to be on Substack so if you go and look at that uh, you will find of course that it is behind a paywall and um I know some of you may not be too happy about that—the fact that it is behind a paywall—but it is quite important to me that it is placed behind a paywall. I do need to earn money from these things, from these podcasts, and from the um, uh, uh, and from the things that I write. So that's why it is there. Um, so please do consider subscribing to my Substack page. Uh, there are a number of ways you can give to me. Of course, you can give through Subscribe Star. Uh, you can give through um, uh, Locals, and you can give through Substack. And all those addresses um, will be in the uh, the closing bit of the show, where we um, close off with some information about those uh, about those uh, particular places. So. If you want to find out what I'm thinking, uh, how I'm approaching this idea of a biblical approach to energy resources, and then start to have a look for my Substack articles. The first of them is there. And uh, I do need the uh, the subscriptions there in order to buy me the time basically to be able to write more because uh, otherwise um, I'm finding difficulty finding time. I need to have uh, more funding there in order to be able to find that time. Now, let me just um, close the show by looking back to one of my favorite things, uh, which is um, the novel by C.S. Lewis called That Hideous Strength. I still come across many people who haven't read this novel yet. And if you're going to understand what's happening to the world at the moment, you need to read this novel. Many people don't even realize that C.S. Lewis wrote such a novel. It's part of a trilogy. There are three Um, uh, novels. Some people call it the Space Trilogy. Some people call it the Cosmic Trilogy. I think Cosmic Trilogy is a better name because it uses um, C.S. Lewis's love for medieval cosmology. Um, That Hideous Strengths is the third and biggest of the three books. It's much longer than the first two books put together. And in fact, I read this book before the other two, strangely enough, even though it's the third one but it can stand alone. And here's the point. It's a dystopian novel, uh, in in a sense not dissimilar from George Orwell's 1984 or Aldous Huxley's Brave New World. Now, it's often been commented that um, 1984 is bleak because uh, Orwell is talking about a world in which uh, learning is denigrated and which books have been burned. Huxley is talking about a world in which nobody needs to burn books because the population simply don't want to read them. So it's uh and of course um Neil Postman commented on that in his uh about the the contrast between these two books in his uh, in his book. Um uh, the title has just escaped me. Uh, I don't have a producer here to sort of shout the title at me. <laughs> um, amusing ourselves to death. There it is. Amusing ourselves to death. Uh, Postman, of course, is not a Christian, so he wouldn't really have liked this third dystopian novel. Um, the the country is gradually bit by bit taken over by a sinister organization, uh, the National Institute for Um coordinated experiments or nice uh, lewis has got a good turn there in uh, the sort of acronyms that government produce and it's a, it's an orwellian title of course because nice is not nice just like orwell's ministry of truth tells lies uh, okay it's the same it's the same concept here but uh, in lewis's book you see that nice is actually evil And I don't want to spoil too much for you if you haven't read it yet, but you gradually see that it isn't a scientific organization so much as a demonic organization. Um, So clearly, if you've got a demonic side, you've got a good side, Um, you've got um, uh, the side of the angels, if you like, uh, led by Dr. Ransom, Uh, the people who are Christians who are praying, you've got those uh, more or less in hiding. Um, and, and you've, you learn about the various characters involved there. And the two main characters are a young married couple. They're in their very early 20s, Mark and Jane Studdock. And what happens is that gradually these two people who, who feel that, neither of them feel they've really got any strong opinions, but they, these two young people both uh, are both attracted to the opposite sides in this conflict. And one of the things that really influences Mark Studdock, which I just want to mention to you now, because I thought it might be fun just to present a few ideas from the book, That Hideous Strength, in in these podcasts. One of the things that Studdick, uh, Mark Studdock, is interested in as a ve- rather weak young man is he wants to be in the in crowd. And he starts in one in crowd. He's, he's uh, been elected as a fellowship uh, to a fellowship uh, to a college of um, a... University, Edgestone University, a fictional university, a small university, and um, he, he's glad that he's there. He soon realizes that not all the fellows are the same. There is an in crowd, and he's he he likes to be he likes to be able to talk to people who are in the in crowd. He doesn't really enjoy their conversations, but he likes the thought that he is part of the in crowd. But then he he meets another character who initially is part of that in crowd, uh, a guy called Lord Featherstone. And in conversation with him, he realizes that there is another in crowd further up. And one of the features of the book is that it keeps finding another in crowd further up, and he wants to be in that inner in. Crowd. This, of course, is a temptation that that comes to many people. They uh, continuously have these sort of problems that they want to be in a deeper in crowd and what uh, at no point was studic happy in any of the in crowds never was he happy in them but it just appealed to his sense of vanity that important people were able to talk to him um and that's that's something that's uh, that's uh, you know lewis points that out and you must come across people like that and if you don't know any people like that maybe you're the one So let's uh, do a few little character traits like that uh, through that hideous strength. Let's just try and find a few of those. I think you'll find it instructive. But I would urge you to read that book. I've read it many times through my life. It's something I like to keep coming back to. Um, You know, I've read it in paperback and I've I've listened to the the audiobook version. I keep coming back and back to it over and over again because it is such an important novel. Well, I think we've covered enough for today. We've gone on quite a long time and I think I'm gonna wind up this podcast now. So thank you for listening. Thank you for watching if that's what you've been doing. Let's, let's keep analysing everything from Scripture uh, that's going on in the world. Let's not be taken in. Let's not be fooled by anything. But let's uh, keep our eyes on Jesus. Remember, Peter could even walk on water when his eyes were on Jesus. And he began to sink in the waves when he took his eyes off Jesus. But even then, Jesus didn't let him drown. He uh, reached out and he got hold of him uh, because that's the God that we believe in. So thank you for listening. Please do support me. There'll be a little brief, uh, short video to remind you about uh, how to support me. But in the meanwhile, um, thank you for being with me. I'll see you again next time. Good night. God bless. Remember, you can support me and these podcasts at subscribestar.com forward slash Paul F. Taylor Or paulftaylor.locals.com Or paulftaylor.substack.com And you can visit Proverbs1810.org For more
1: information. God bless you.